Laura Barr, welcome to Growing Good Humans podcast. I am the owner and founder of Emerging Educational Consulting, and we provide one-to-one -one mentorship for parents and students from the beginning to end of the college application process. I often say I'm in the business of growing good humans, and what better way to do that by providing information and education. I cannot express how honored I am today to have Andrea Brenner. She is the author of a book that I keep literally by my side on my desk sitting right here. And if it's not here, it's because I've given it away. So I think I order like 10 a month. Anyway, I love it. I am going to let you go ahead and introduce yourself. And when you introduce yourself, I would also love for you to share with us, why did you write this book? Sure. Well, thank you so much for having me, Laura. My name is Andrea Malkin-Brenner. I actually have a PhD in sociology, so I'm a sociologist by trade. I was a sociology professor at American University for 20 years, studying sociology of the first year students. Uh, so I was the obvious pick when the university decided to create a first year experience course there. And I spent well, close to four years uh, creating and piloting uh, a first year experience course at American University in DC, which now runs to uh, it's a full year mandatory course for all of their incoming students. I have since left the university to open my own business. I, as you mentioned, Laura wrote with a co-author the book, How to College, What to Know Before You Go and When You're There. And I created the Talking College card deck and I have a series of card decks and they're insider tips and discussion prompts for college bound students and their parents and guardians. Everything about transitioning uh, to college from high school. And to answer your question, I wrote the book with a colleague, Professor Lara Schwartz. We were both teaching and realized that we had worked collectively with probably 40,000 first year students between the two of us over many years. And we realized we had great information to share as college insiders. And many books on the college transition are written actually by people who've never worked on college campuses. And so it was very important to us as professors to kind of reach out to those almost college students and share our knowledge. I often say to my clientele, I say, listen, your student is going to get into college. What we want for you is your child to succeed when they get there. And I would agree with you that a lot of the consulting practices are more focused on kind of getting into college, but without that really deep reflection on, am I ready? And what does it mean for me to be ready? How do you, just to get started with some of the questions, is there like a front line list of questions or like, am I even ready? How do you assess or how do you advise parents on assessing that? That's a really great question. And I don't think that there's one journey for every student. I think every student's different. I think it's completely appropriate for an 18 year old not to be ready for college, as well as for an 18 year old to be almost ready for college. I think it is the rare 18 year old who excels academically, social, socially, and emotionally. So I would say to parents, you know, for sure, recognize that colleges are expecting messy freshmen. They are expecting them not to be perfect on all of those avenues. And so don't look for perfection to find out if your student is ready. You know, if they're lagging behind in all three of those areas, I said, I would think maybe a gap year, maybe some pre-transition training, but for the most part, uh, the average 18 
year-old who does fairly well in all three areas is, I, in my book, ready for college. The other thing is that if a college has accepted you, that means that you are academically ready for that school. But that doesn't necessarily mean that your interpersonal skills or your professional development skills are ready. And so, you know, I love to say to families, adulting skills don't come in the college acceptance letter. That's something that students and families need to be working on simultaneous to apply to college. That brings me to one of my next questions, which is how, like, when do you, in your world, when do you like for families to start? looking at this book and and we have adulting when should they start integrating adulting skills sure and i would say it's never too early to start i think you can start adulting as early as middle school with some avenues but in terms of things like uh, making your own dentist appointment that's something that every high school student should be able to do sitting with your student to show them how to book a plane ticket or a bus ticket <clears throat> if the student's not familiar with that. Again, that's something that can be done early. Time management skills, um, handling money and budgets. Those are things we can start very, very early. I do say that the book in particular, I would say is really the sweet spot would be juniors and seniors in high school. And I get from a lot of families, I loved your book, but how do I get my 18 year old to read a book? And part of that is why I created the card decks because they're a little more tactile and easier, uh, manageable bite-sized chunks. But a great piece of advice for anybody who has purchased the book and is interested in their student reading it is to get some colored post-its and stick them in the book and figure out if I'm a junior right now, maybe chapters one and four are appropriate for my students to read this year. And so maybe those are green post-its. And then maybe you write the pink post-its are for fall of sophomore year, I mean, excuse me, fall of senior year. And the blue ones are for spring of senior year or for the summer after senior year. So you know your child best. And I think it's important to kind of bite-sized chunks as you go along. I raised and launched four kids. Very happy about that. And what I would typically do with a book like this is I would read it and I would do the sticky notes. And then I would try to find ways driving in the car when they're like trapped with me or on a walk where I would say, you know, I was reading this book and I was reading it. Like, do you even understand the difference between a dean and a provost or whatever, all those, like there's all this language that students just don't know. And I'm surprised constantly of how little students actually even really understand what is college. So from a parent perspective, I sometimes would read, so I became the expert and then I could kind of weave it in. I know for me in my practice as an IEC, I have found it extremely helpful when they graduate because they're ready and they can see themselves and they're all the steps of the college application are behind them. And I just sent off a student to London and she, I met with her right before she left and she came and she had like four, I think she had like every page sticky noted. <laughs> I was like, I'm not sure that's effective, but like, she was like, and what about this? And what about this? And she just felt so ready along the way, but I'm sure everybody can find different ways. And then, also, ways. I, and then also, I use this even just reading to them without saying, oh, here, read another book. I'll actually read a chapter or a, I'll pause and just read a passage to them during my consulting practice. So I'm just, I'm so grateful that this body of work is even out there. Let me ask you, what are the biggest 
first year challenges that you've seen over the years? Well, there, there are many, but I'm, I think I'll focus on just a few. The first one I would say is not being accepted into a group of choice. That happens to a lot of first year students. So that might be a friend group that you want to be involved in and that that's not a group that works out for you or Greek life or fraternity or sorority that does not accept you. Or even you might be the best singer in your high school, but you might not make the acapella group in your college because there are going to be a whole lot of best singers from high schools and the competition is, is much more intense. So I would say being aware that sometime in your first year of college, you probably won't be accepted at some point into a group of choice. I would also talk about time management, which is kind of the answer to everything. And I would say that's a real challenge for a lot of first year students. In high school, you have a pretty strict schedule for what time school starts and ends every day and your extracurriculars are planned. Ideally, somebody's making you dinner, even shopping for the food that you're eating. All of that changes in college when you may be in class far fewer hours than you are in high school and you have more free time than ever before. Of course, you need to be using some of that time to study, but you do have more free time to make friends, join activities. And that is something that can be overwhelming to students who are used to a pre-program life. I would also say independent self-care is really, really challenging for some first-year students. So if you are somebody who's been woken up by a parent rather than your alarm clock, if you're somebody who, a student who's had a family member remind them, bring your paper that's due today, do you have your soccer jersey, don't forget you have a dentist appointment and all of a sudden you're expected to do it on your own, that can be your tough transition. So really learning all of those sort of independent self care pieces and in an ideal world they would start sometime at the end of high school so the transition will be easier in our practice we have a launch checklist and i often say when i do interviews with parents who we're going to work for i i mean work with and for i say things like are they getting their driver's license are they making their own doctor's appointments are they um, waking themselves up in the morning and ideally i like those things to be happening Honestly, even in second grade, students can set their own alarms, right? And so that is actually part of my practice is guiding families. And I, you might have noticed that I say we guide parents and students through this process because I have found that parents don't always have the foresight to know what's coming. And it's not because they're not dedicated, amazing parents, but often just not understanding how much that transition from being in this like safe little bubble out into a bubble that's probably safe, but just unknown can really, really throw kids. So I really like how you said, it seems like you said self-care, time management, because all of a sudden they have all this time. And I'm really struck by not getting into that group of choice. I've actually never heard that before. And I'm curious, for those who haven't read the book, what is your tip for preparing students for that? Well, I would say that it's a preparation for building resilience skills in every avenue. So it's not just because of this, but it might be, how do you bounce back after think, working really hard on a paper and getting a C on it and realizing I, I need to learn something different. I need to be approaching this in a different way. So it's really those, those resiliency muscles that I would say need to be built. You know, I think we expect 
the perfection of the college experience, right? That your best friend is going to be your roommate and your roommate's going to be your best friend and, you know, everything is going to work out swimmingly. And I think a lot of students are disappointed because they go in expecting perfection. So building resilience muscles is super, super important. I think that can be started certainly in high school. And if you know how to bounce back and you think in advance, and I love to say this to students, think of an advance of the worst possible scenario. If the worst possible scenario is the sorority does not accept you, what is your backup plan, right? Do you have a club or organization you're going to join if Greek life is not for you? Is there another acapella group or a different activity that you can join if this one doesn't work out? So going in with a plan B is always a great avenue. You're making me feel a little relieved. I was starting, my heart was starting to beat. I was feeling really guilty because I was going to admit that I told my stepdaughter who's applying to college right now, she's like, I can't wait for my roommate. We're going to be best friends. We're going to go eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Now she's a senior who hasn't even gotten to college yet. And she has all these images and visions about her, this relationship she's going to have. And I was pretty harsh. I was like, you know, that's probably not going to happen. What's probably going to happen is you're going to get a girl, you're going to have a friend, a, a roommate, they're going to have a boyfriend, you're going to come home at 11 o'clock at night, and that, that roommate is going to be like with her boyfriend in the room with a sign that says sleep somewhere else. <laughs> like I went on and on to kind of like, and she was kind of shaken, but later she talked about it and she's like, I'm really glad you said that to me because I realize I might have some fantasies about what this is going to be like. And I imagine parents create fantasies of what they want their first year child's experience to be. And what is your advice for parents when they get that call? I'm going to come home because I didn't get into my sorority or my roommate is absolutely a nightmare. What do you, how do you advise parents on coaching those kids through that, through that? So that's something I talk about a lot. Um, I speak to families at high schools and colleges across the country. And that's something I always talk about when I talk to high school parents is talking about instead of immediately using your parent in a text, often mom, in a, my life is falling apart, what should I do? Really have your student prepped to say, here's what happened. I've thought it through. Here's my plan. What do you think? Right? So my son who grew up, you know, with the mom who wrote how to college in his first week of college, lost his student ID and his driver's license. But he has been trained by me to know, don't call to tell me the problem, call to tell me the solution, right? So it may not be immediate, the plan may not be fantastic, but at least there's adult problem solving skills. And so I would say that, you know, I have really been having a hard time not really getting along with my roommate, but I went to my RA because that's what I'm supposed to do on a college campus. And she or he kind of teased out some ideas with me. Maybe we made a roommate contract. Maybe I talked about some of my challenges with my with another friend or with my roommate directly. So again, I think it's something that parents we can do is if we get that call, my life is falling apart, what do I do? We throw that back on our students and say, come up with a plan. What do you think you should do? Rather than immediately being the fixers. We're very good at fixing, but this is a time for them to learn to be fixers for themselves. Wow. Will you say those, I think you said four, four steps. So I would say, once again, have it in advance of any problem, right? In advance of them going to college, come up with language that works for you and your family. In my family, we say, don't call me when you have a problem asking me what to do. Call me when you have teased out a solution. Mm. No, it does not have mm. to be a perfect solution. I might help you tweak it, but 
it feels so powerful, I think, as a new college student to say, I have a problem, I've thought it out, here's my plan, what do you think? Rather than, I have a problem, what should I do? That is just such an incredible piece of advice. I know we are going to make sure we get that out to as many families as there as are all of our seniors are transitioning and these calls are already starting to happen. And so it's just so valuable. Let's see, I have a question. Um, how many clubs or organizations should a first year student join? So I love this question. I do have some advice. It's something sort of I created myself and I, I would say it works for most students. And this is, this is tough because uh, students have just come off the wheel of trying to show leadership on their high school transcripts and sometimes they can't get off that wheel and they either join too many clubs and organizations or they have so much free time, they think, I'm just gonna Netflix. So I suggest three. I suggest find a club or organization that meets a passion area, whatever that might be something that just is fun, something you love, something that's something for you. I say join a club or organization that's something for others. So that might be a volunteer piece, that might be Greek life where there is a philanthropic arm, whatever it might be through spiritual life, through a religious organization, so something for others. So one is for you, one is for others. And then the third is something that has to do with your either career or academic path. So that could be a, a business entrepreneur club. It could be an engineering society. And I always get asked, well, what if I don't know what I want to do with my life? That's okay. It can change. Something that interests you then and there, what you think you might want to study, what you think you, the classes that you're taking, if they interest you. And there are so many on college campuses. So again, something for you, something for others, and then something that's directed towards your academic or career path. Mm, love that. Let's see, I have another question here. Oh, I think this is a really good one because I've experienced this firsthand, especially when you said like students who did really well, right? They were in the acapella band or they were straight A students and never got a B or maybe just one B and they go to college and they're kind of shocked. So maybe if you could explain to our audience the difference between high school academics and college academics. Sure, I love this question. There are a lot of differences. I can touch on some of them. One of the things that you might have heard as a high school parent is your student saying, I didn't do well on this assignment, but it's okay because there's six more assignments in this marking period. I can still bring up my grade. That doesn't happen in college. In college, there are fewer assignments in every course. You may have a course that just has two papers. And so therefore, these papers are weighted much more heavily. So you don't have sort of those, all those extra bells and whistles and extra credits to help you bump up a grade. It usually is, you've got these three or four papers or assignments, and that is your grade. There's no such thing as sort of that extra credit in college. So I would say that's one big difference between high school and college. Another one is that high school teachers send a lot of reminders and give a lot of reminders to the students. So it might be an email reminder, might be on the uh, classroom portal. It might be literally written on the board that, you know, don't forget next Thursday, this thing is due. That doesn't happen in college either. And as a college professor, there was always 
always a student, if not two, in every first year class that I would teach who would look around and all of the students would say, oh, glad that paper's due. I turned it in midnight last night. And that student with the wide eyes said, oh my gosh, nobody reminded me. I didn't know it was due. So those reminders don't come in college. That's something that college expects you as a young adult to know. So making sure you have a, a planner, whatever kind of planner you, you works for your brain and making sure you're writing down all of the assignments on all of your syllabi. So I would say that's another really big difference is kind of really not getting those reminders from teachers. And then I'm just gonna throw in a third, although I could probably give you 20, which would be the quantity of reading is very different. Uh, so in high school, you might be asked to read two chapters in a week. And in college, you might be asked to read a book in a week. Granted, you have much, much more free time than you had. It's you're, you're in class in high school about 35 hours a week in a classroom setting and in college in about, about 12 to 15 hours a week. So you really do have a lot of time outside of the classroom, but you are going to be expected to read much larger quantities um, in college. We, in, in our practice, we work hard at making sure it's almost like the clubs and the support services. And we try to have our students know even when they're applying, what clubs they would want to join. But we've never framed it that amazing way that you did. So I'm really excited to use that in our practice. And then also for academics, we always make sure our students know exactly what learning resources are available. So is there a writing center? Where is it? Mark it on the map. Like, how do you get there? And don't wait. Do not, do not, if you're not, getting where you need to do not wait two weeks to go to the writing center or to get a tutor or because in your well said words is everything goes pretty fast. The semesters are shorter. The assignments are shorter. So that's extremely helpful. Can I can, if I could just interject, I love that you mentioned campus resources because I haven't had a chance to do so, and I am a huge believer in knowing in advance. So looking up, look, this is the this is the silver lining to COVID on college campuses that everything is now online. So if you're looking at colleges or you're even you know what college you're going to be attending, you can map all these things out in advance, right? Am I going to need a math stat lab? Am I going to need a writing center? Am I going to need a counseling center, a fitness center, and then as well looking up all those clubs and organizations. I think a lot of parents think they'll figure that all out during orientation. And as I say in the book, orientation can be disorienting for a lot of students. It's a ton of information and the students are just trying to function. So the earlier, the better, and the more you can know going in, the better. Um, I have a question from the audience about kind of this in high school, some direct tips around time management, maybe impulse control and electronic devices. I actually had a nephew who went to college and actually had to drop out because he had all the freedom in the world to do electronic gaming. And he literally came home two months later because he found himself completely addicted. And he was an amazing student. You never would have predicted this. So any, have you ever had that happen? And we only have one minute left because I honor this 30 minutes, but maybe that's our last, like, what are those practical things parents in high school can do now around time management and impulse control around devices? 
That's a really great question. And I would say the earlier, the better starting to talk about those things, maybe not even waiting till senior year. So sitting down with your student, each one of you writing a list of the things you believe that student needs to work on, the student writing for themselves, you writing for, about their student. Here's a list of the things I need to th I think you need to work on before heading to college and who is going to kind of help moderate this with you. And maybe it's not the parent, maybe it's an older sibling, maybe it's a neighbor, an uncle, um, because we can't be teachers you know, in all avenues. So I think that a student who really knows that they get some stress relief from gaming, they need to have a plan in place so that when we, they do have free time, they have they have they know how to limit their hours. So I think every student is different, but the earlier the better. Starting to talk about it and plan for it. I love I love I love I love what you said. Say say. We often in our practice call ourselves mentors because we see the the job of the student right is to branch out and individuate from parents and so where do they go to get this kind of coaching and support around setting some of those limits and boundaries for themselves that self-efficacy and i think i can't thank you enough for doing this because i think it gives and empowers parents ways to be able to backwards plan like this is where we're going and as parents we need to create starting and even eighth, ninth, 10th grade systems in place that help those students own the decisions in their life so that they can have that self-efficacy to make those kind of decisions and be able to balance all of that overwhelming input that happens when they transition. Andrea, thank you so much. And I hope this is the beginning of many conversations we get to have with you. Thank you so much for having me, Laura. My pleasure. Okay. Talk to you later. Okay. Talk to you later. Bye.